All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you um, for your goodness and your mercy, Lord. Um, I thank you that all the words of those songs are true, Father. And uh, I pray for everyone in this room. God, there aren't any coincidences in moments like this. People are here for a reason. Even if this is their only time here, you have a purpose for that. Um, no matter how fallible or um, fallen or not perfected I am or the messenger is, Lord, that your word is true and good and perfect. And I pray that it would do, uh, Lord Jesus, what you have promised to do and set the captives free, heal the brokenhearted and all those beautiful things. God, I pray you would help me uh, to preach your word, to um, preach it well, and that I wouldn't get in the way and I'll give you all the glory. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. How you guys doing today? Great. Hey, welcome to The Remnant. My name is Todd. I'm the pastor here. If it is your first time or you haven't been here in a while, um, well, welcome. We're in the midst, and that's just the second week of a series called Chains. And why is it called that? Well, because a lot of Christians, I'll give you the, the shortened version. A lot of times, Christians do not seem to be very jolly people, right? We're just not very jolly sometimes. We're not very joyful uh, as a whole. And I think... When you compare that to the Bible and what it's sort of described as for us, that, it, that doesn't make any sense, right? And I'm one of them. I'm the mopey. I'm the Eeyore Christian at times. And I think part of it for me and maybe for you too is sometimes I feel, I don't feel free. And I've been promised, right, in Christ that we're free. And what does that mean? Well, religion can sometimes make us feel not free. And... Um, and what I mean by religion is the man-made stuff, right? The, the system that we create. And it sometimes starts out in a good place, right? We, we're trying to get people to be more like Jesus. And then what ends up happening, as we tend to do, is the more we add, right? And the more we sort of don't need God because we've got these systems in place. And the more you do that, the less free you are. So last week we talked about sort of chains of fear. You know, as Christians, sometimes there's this fear that are we really... Um, good with God, right? Have we, have we lost that? Have, can we lose our salvation? Can we, have we went too far? Even if it's momentary, even if it's past things, we always have that little question, that little doubt that can creep in. And the ways that we combat these chains and the ways we free ourselves is to remember God's truth because God's truth does set us free, right? Do I need to throw a podium because you guys seem sleepy today? You, I, I promise you next week I'm throwing a podium. So I will do that. Wake up, okay? I'm here. I got to be here. You got to be here, okay? There's coffee out there. Feel free to grab some. Uh, whatever you need to do, because otherwise my next step is I go down here and I'm wandering around in between these, you know, like those southern, uh, which are cool. And maybe that's why they do it, you know? Um, or I'll get a squirt gun, and it's going to make it really hard for the, uh, for the camera guys. So let's just be focused, okay? You're already here. Right? So you want to take a nap for 30 minutes and the pastor calls you out, right? He might do it. He's crazy. Or you just want to pay attention and we just get in and out, right? That sound good? Okay. Thank you. Because, I mean, it's hard to, to speak truth when you guys are going, all right? It's 1130. People still sleeping. <laughs> Me too. All right. <clears throat> so we talked about that last week, that the chains of fear can be broken when we recognize that our standing before God in Christ is secure, can't be taken away, has nothing to do with us and all to do with him. We are justified by his atoning sacrifice. Ooh, that's a fancy term. What does that mean? We are justified before God because of the cross, because of what he did. And when we put our faith in him, we can't lose what we never earned. You see what I mean? So we're justified, our debt is paid. <clears throat> But I think we're also held down by different kinds of, ch of, of chains. And this week I want to talk about chains of sin and shame. And I view that as kind of one big thick chain. Now here's the thing. Sin is a chain. Okay? When you sin as a Christian, when, and what is sin? Sin is anything that God says not to do, Right? Or you not doing what God says to do. Either time you do or don't do those two things, you're sinning, right? You're, you've set yourself against God. Guys, let me put it this way. When you do that, when you choose to do something God told you not to do, right? Or not do something God told you to do, guess what you're doing? You are literally turning around, right, and saying, I know better than you. That's the reality. We need to understand that. And when we do that, we forget that God's 
commands to us, uh, his desire for us, is not so that we can't have fun. It's not so that we're boring. It's, not, it's so that we're free. He's the one telling us where to step so that we don't step in quicksand. Because that's what sin is. And when you become a Christian, it doesn't matter how far and how deep you fall in. You always feel the Holy Spirit, right? You get to this, that it's, it's not comfortable. And so what we do a lot of times, what I've seen Christians do is they numb themselves. Well, it's already too late, so I'm going to dive deeper in. It's already too late. It's ruined, so I'm going to go deeper in, right? What does it matter? I've heard that all the time. And then we, we decide, well, I'll be, I brought this up last week, I'll be good for a couple weeks. Maybe if I'm good for a couple weeks, I'll be okay again, and I'll be free. And then the cycle just continues. And listen, here's the thing. I don't even have to ask if some of you do. I know you do. So do I. Right? If I can be good enough again, then maybe... God and I will be okay. And that's what sin does. You see, sin is quicksand that pulls us away and makes us forget who God is and who we are in him. And in that, in that dark place, in that quicksand, when we forget who he is and who we are and how solid that relationship is and the truth and the hope and the joy and the peace, well, then comes a lot of other things like shame and guilt and depression. And then that leads back to fear, Right? And when we sin, inevitably we feel shame. We can hide from it. We can try to run from it. We can try to distract ourselves, which is what we do, right? But at the end of the day, it's shame. It reminds me of the garden, right? Why did Adam and Eve hide the moment they sinned? And God comes out, right, and says, hey, where are you? He said, we hid because we were naked and afraid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? That's so deep. Who told you to feel shame? John 8.34 very simply tells us a simple, simple fact here. Jesus answered them. He's talking to his teaching. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. That word practice, sin, is very important for a Christian because, right, we'll come back to that. It means choosing and continuing to do sin, we become a slave to that. You know what that means, right? When you start sinning, when you start choosing, whatever that is, right? It be- does it become easier and easier to do the same thing? Yeah, of course it does. But then we have this, this idea. So, so pre-Jesus, guys, we are all slaves to sin. If you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, cool, stick around. We'll talk at the end, but pay attention. If you're, this is aimed at those that claim to be Christian today. Listen to me. When, before you were a Christian, you were a slave to sin and dead in those sins. Dead, you didn't know it yet. Condemned. That just tells us that, right? But here's the beauty. You are then saved, right? You put your faith in Jesus. You're justified, remember? And what happens? Acts 13, 39. This is a beautiful verse, right? It says, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. This is so good. This is so good. You're all like, the law of Moses, that's boring. No, I'm going to tell you what that means. Everyone who believes in him is freed from everything that religion couldn't free you from. That being good enough on your own merit, that practicing and trying to be good enough couldn't do. That's what the law of Moses was. What the rules couldn't do, which is free you permanently, Jesus did. You with me? Now, I'm going to tell you right now, today is one of those days that there is going to be a lot thrown at you, and you're going to have to stick with me. That's why I, you know, joked, joked about throwing the podium. I need you to stay focused because it's very, very important. And I know it's going to be wordy, but there's a lot of truth in here that if you can grasp, will change the way you view your relationship with Jesus, your relationship with sin, what happens when you mess up, the the feeling of being powerless to stop. All those things can stop, but you have to be willing, right? God says, "Seek, seek the Lord with all your heart, soul, and what? Mind. We don't like that today. You guys want the TikTok five seconds. Hey, give me that truth in five seconds, right? I can't do that. Stay with me. So. You're slave to sin in Jesus. You are freed from sin. But here's the deal. So not only are we freed from sin, the Bible calls us, I love this, in Thessalonians, it calls us the holy ones. You are the holy ones, the saints, the chosen ones, a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood. It calls 
Christians, all those things. Let that sink in. A saint. Do you feel like a saint? No, you don't, right? Many times you don't, but that's what you are. And you are that the moment you put your faith in Christ, you are freed and you're a saint. He calls you a saint. He doesn't say you're a saint after 50 years. He doesn't say you're a saint after you die and you prove that you did a bunch of miracles. You're a saint. But here's the deal. We still sin, right? Saints don't sin. So how is it? We know we still sin, but we also know that we're forgiven of our past, present, and future sins. We're justified at the moment we accept Christ. How do we reconcile that? How can we be saints but still sin? How, what Does that mean that sin doesn't matter? Does that mean I can do whatever I want? How do we put all that together? And we're, be, we're told no, but do you understand why? How do we reconcile that? Well, first of all, and this is setting up the rest of it, when we're justified, Right? We are made holy, which is the word we're going to talk about today, sanctified, sanctification. You are sanctified. You are made holy. This is, this is wordy. We are made holy positionally because of what, we've done, what, we've, what Christ did for us, meaning we are treated as holy because of what Christ did. Remember the, the divine transaction? We give him our sin and our brokenness, and in return, Jesus, if we come to the cross, gives us the, the record of his perfect, spotless, holy life, Right? positionally, we are saints because he was perfect. We are viewed as perfect. Make sense? That's positionally. But we are also called to be holy in our actions and lives, which is separate from that positional sanctification. Make sense? So we are viewed and, and we are viewed as holy. This might simplify it. You're viewed as holy. Are you fully holy yet? Raise your hand if you're a Christian in here and you act holy all the time. You are a fibber. Gotcha. Right? Gotcha. Right? Raise your hand. Right? You're not. You don't. So what is that? There's something else that has to occur. We are treated as holy, but God doesn't say, okay, you're dirty. I'm going to treat you as holy. No, I'm going to now make you worthy of that calling. I am going to change you so that the position, right, matches the person, and that the person matches the position. You with me? Todd, there's a lot of P words and S's and all these other things. You got to stay with me. Make sense? This is interactive today. Or again, podiums get thrown. We're all unhappy. All right. <clears throat> One of these days, I might do that, and then I'll have to quit. So, so what do I mean? Well, we're, we're, we know, how do I know that we're called to be holy, that we have to choose to act holy? Well, here's a verse. There's many, but 1 Peter 1.15 says very simply, Right? We got it? No? Yeah? No. Okay. First Peter 1.15 says, But as he who called you is holy, you also must be holy in your conduct. Let that sink in again. But as he who called you is holy, you must be holy. So as Jesus is holy, you are expected to be that holy. That's pretty overwhelming. So today we're going to talk about something that can free you which is the process by which you become sinners and now you're called saints. And if you understand this, if you understand this word, this sanctification, I know it's boring. You'd rather I say it and talk about, I don't know, clowns and stuff. But this will help you. Sanctification, if you can grasp this phrase and understand what it means, it can lead to freedom. Sanctification is, the, is a position, as I mentioned, but it's also a process. It's the process by which the person becomes worthy of the position. Make sense? No, the person becomes worthy of the process. So, here's an example. King, actually, this is, I'm about to be hip and cool, right? Uh, current events. We all know the, the, the royal family of England became a big deal again. People started to get interested in monarchy. When a baby is born, when Elizabeth was born, did she know how to be a queen? Well, let me give you a hint. Queens don't poop and pee themselves, right, and have other people change them, we think, right? No, she didn't know how to, she didn't know how to be a queen. So she was taught, right, by tutors, by family members, by her father, how to act royally, even though from the moment of her birth, she was a princess. From the moment of her birth, she was a princess, but she had to learn how to become one. Sanctification is 
you are a king or queen. You are a prince or prince. You are a son of the most, a daughter of the most high king, but you have to learn how to act like one. Sin no longer has a hold over us, period. We're free from the power of sin. We no longer have to sin. We can choose holiness, and this is big, and it's going to sound hard for you to hear. It is impossible for us to choose holiness before our salvation. Now, some of you are like, well, Todd, I don't understand. Buddhist monks are really nice people, right? There are. There's some really good people from other religions. Here's the thing. Those are always tied to what it brings us, right? It's always tied to what it brings us. Whether it's karma, still about me, right? Whether it's reincarnation, whether it's um, all of those things are still about us. What Christ calls us to, what God calls us to, this kind of love, for instance, agape, it's entirely selfless. It has nothing to do with what I get in return. We are called to love people as though they will not love us back and continue to love them even if they won't and even when they don't. Think about that. Nobody can choose that kind of selfless love. Well, I know people who love their wives and husbands so much and aren't saved. No, 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 no. If their husband or wife stopped loving them and stopped giving them affection or whatever, sex or whatever it is they want in that moment, their love would fade because it's tied to their behavior. That's how we end up with all these divorces because people don't understand that marriage isn't about whether or not you make me happy every day. It's a covenant that I'm going to choose, for lack of a better word, to do my best to make you happy every day, but even more than that, to make you holy. You see what I'm saying? Before you knew Jesus, you couldn't love like that. The concept seems crazy. If I go out there and tell someone whose husband, a wife whose husband is distant, or a husband whose wife is, you know, henpecked him, or, you know, whatever you want to call it, and I say and doesn't know Jesus, I say, hey, you need to love her radically anyway, and you need to love him radically anyway, they're going to go, but what are they going to do? What if they don't stop? You see what I mean? This is deep, but I need you nods or these. Do you understand? That kind of love, no one has a concept of that before salvation. Now, here's the tough part. We can, we're not slaves. Here's the sad thing. So if you're not slaves to sin and yet you sin, what does that mean? We choose it. We choose it. Now, sometimes it's out of habit, right? And that's like the baby, you know? I use my daughter again because lately, you know, my little angel is doing things that aren't angel-like already. So this, this is a great, I even thought this last night, I said, you need to share this story, this would be a perfect example. So I, my daughter last night, having a hard time sleeping, I'm holding her, she takes her finger, okay, and she starts by poking my nose. I'm like, oh, that's sweet, right? It's in the dark, she's poking my nose. And then I notice that her finger turns like this, so that her claw is in my nose. So I kind of pull it away, I was like, oh, that's funny, and then she does this, I'm like, this is cute, she's doing that when she's real little, like, I love you. And then she just turns her claw in and rakes me. Now, before you go, it was an accident. No, 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 no. It was very intentional. She put her finger here, and we were having a sweet moment. It was actually literally be a comedy because I'm like, you're so cute. Right? And this happened numerous times to the point that I actually grabbed her hand. I said, you are not very nice. I said that to her, and she's like, right? Whether she understood that or not. So here's my point that she's choosing that. She's doing that because she hasn't learned yet that you can't just hurt people because you feel like it. But here's the crazy thing, too. She's no, she's no less my daughter. My love is no less, uh, is, is not any weaker because she did that. But she has to learn how to be the little queen that she's going to be. She has to learn. And it's my job as her father to teach her how to love people, to teach her how to behave, to teach her not to claw people's faces when she's upset, right? I need to teach her when she just doesn't want to sleep. I have no idea why she clawed me, right? <laughs> it's a very deep wound. Anyway, it was a great betrayal. <laughs> I have to teach her how to be. That's what we have to do. We have to learn how to be like our father, like to, how to be like our big brother Jesus. So this sanctification is very important to understand, and we're going to need to dig into it. And also, I'm going to give you a clue. Who here has heard the term, before I say, heard the term backsliding? Great. Who has been afraid of backsliding? Be honest. Wow. Great. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you what's happened here. 
Backsliding, if you don't know what that is, is a terminology that says if I do stuff to a certain point, if I sin, I could lose my salvation. I'm going to slide down the hill back into hell, right? The problem, the issue with that, that's how many people interpret it, is that they're confusing the justification we talked about last week with the sanctification process. You're like, Todd, this makes no sense. It will. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 6, verses 11 through 14. Now, this is going to talk about, well, we'll read it, and I'll explain. So you too, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome, and Romans is a good example. There's a lot in Romans that will tell you exactly what you were before Jesus and what you are after, right, and what he's done for you and what you're called to become. So you too, cons- so you too consider yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Right there, that sentence is very powerful. If you were dead to sin, it doesn't even exist. You don't exist in that world anymore, right? You're dead to it. You with me? Boy, I'll tell you what. Sleepy, come on, stay with me. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires, and do not offer any parts of it as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For I love this. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under law but under grace. I like there's a, there's a, uh, this is the HCSB, just because it's easier to read. There's a version that says, for sin will have no dominion over you. It will have no power over you. You don't live in that world anymore. And we've talked about that in the kingdom series. You're no longer, if you're in Christ, you're just here visiting. You're not from here. You are an alien. This isn't your home. You are ambassadors from a kingdom and a king to tell people about the kingdom and to warn them that the king's coming back. And that this little rebellion that's happened, this little civil war that's happened, and he's allowing to happen so he can save as many people as he can, it's going to end. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under law but under grace. So last week, this whole process, let's, let's talk about that for a minute before I move on. So it says you're dead to sin alive to Christ Jesus. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. That means don't let it rule you. What's the implication if if you're told to not let it rule you? That you could choose to let it rule you. A Christian could, right? A Christian could choose to let sin rule you. You could willingly choose to go back under the rule of sin. To be a slave again. So that you obey its desires. When you put yourself, right, under the rule of sin, you start to listen to it. And the more you listen to that master, the less you will hear from your true master. That's why I hear so many times people that are living in sin. And what that means is as a Christian is you've chosen to just turn your back and live like you are a slave again. And I hear it all the time, well, I don't feel God anymore. You're waiting to feel God before you turn back to God. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. If you're sinking in quicksand, you don't say, well, God, if you make me feel loved, I'll reach out my hand to be saved. No, you don't do that. Help me. I will come your way. We are so obsessed with feeling in this world. Everything we claim, to, you know, truth is based on how you feel. That's ridiculous. I can feel like I'm Superman, but when I jump off this, thing, this building, I'm going to learn very quickly, no matter how much I flap my arms, I'm not Superman. He doesn't flap his arms, but you get the point. Do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. This, that sentence is powerful to me because offering reminds me of what? An offering of worship. Here you go, sin. Here you go, Satan. I'll do exactly what you want. By the way, if you don't know Jesus, and this is a very powerful, Jesus says this himself to the Pharisees when they accuse him of kind of casting out demons or demons. He says, you know, we are sons of Abraham. They claim, who do you think you are? And he goes, no, no, no. You are a son of your father who's been a liar from the beginning, right? He says, you're a son of Satan. If when we are slaves to sin, our father is Satan. Accept it. doesn't matter what you call it. There's only, it's very black and white in Christianity, and I like that. Some people don't, but you don't have to guess. You are either a slave to righteousness, a son or daughter of the king, of Jesus, of God, or you're a servant of Satan. That's period. And I'm sorry to offend you, but that, even if you don't know that, right? Even if you don't want that, because it's not a choice. <clears throat> he says, instead of doing that, Because you're alive, because you're not part of that, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourself to God as weapons of righteousness. 
You have to choose to do that. Does it say do it when you feel like it? Do it when it's easy? Do it until you find a, a girl or a guy who fills all the other spots that God doesn't? Because then it's okay. I don't need God anymore, right? If you've been on the other side of that, you learn real quickly, don't you? Those gods and goddesses don't last very long. For sin will not rule over you because you're not under law but under grace. Well, Todd, I don't understand. I thought it's not about earning. It's not about earning. You're not, you are given the grace that even though you mess up, you're still viewed positionally as a saint. That's the grace. But the expectation is that you act in a way that's honoring to your position, to your role. So last week, we talked about justification, right? A lot of, a lot of cations here. And how it was an instantaneous event that took part of our conversion. Meaning when you accept Christ immediately today, right? You'll hear me say that later. You are saved. You are justified. You are made right before God. It's made clean. All of that. You are viewed as holy positionally. When we come to know Christ, we are justified permanently and forever in that moment. You can't lose your salvation. Because otherwise the cross was not sufficient. I'm going to say that again. You cannot lose your salvation, a true follower of Christ, someone who's put their faith in, because if you did, right, if that's true, then Christ's sacrifice was not all-encompassing. It wasn't final. When he said, it is finished, it was a lie. It has to be. And it's important, that's why even though this is wordy, it's important for you to understand the distinction so that you can go, well, what about these Christians that act crazy? Or what about these Christians who completely turn away on God? You, you have to accept the fact that some of these Christians that you thought were Christians were never actually Christians. They'd heard of Jesus, but they didn't believe in Jesus. So justification has permanent. We don't really have a part in our justification, remember? That's a fully Christ. We accept what he did fully. We have no part in that. But yet, and this is interesting, in this verse we read that we have some part to play here in this Christian walk. So we're justified, that's all God. How do we know? Let not sin therefore reign. Do not yield, but yield yourselves to God. That means it involves action or inaction on our part. But Todd, so, so we know if, if it's not justification that involves our action or inaction, there must be some other thing happening here to the Christian. Something that's not justification, some other process. That's the process of sanctification, the process of becoming what we already are. This is exactly what sanctification is. So here's a definition of sanctification as we continue. I'll be up there. Now you can throw that up there. Sanctification is, there we go. Sanctification is a progressive work of God, meaning it builds on itself. A work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and more and more like Christ. That becomes evident in our lives, meaning this process will continue that we work with God and the Holy Spirit to become less, to sin less and less, to become more and more like him. And as we do that, it's going to be evident in our lives. We're going to look different than the world. If you don't look different in the world, there's only two options. You're not a Christian or you have hindered the process of becoming more like him. Make sense? So I, I have a cool table for you that will help you understand the difference. Yeah, see? Gabby got excited about tables. Nice. That would have been cool if you did it right then. Nope, not the one I'm looking for. Do you have the one that has the two lists? There we go. You trickster. You gave, you a, you gave him a little freebie about uh, coming later. So justification. Let's pay attention here. So justification is a legal standing, right? You are justified before God. The debt is paid. I know it's a little small. All right? So it's a legal standing. Sanctification is an internal condition, right? It's, it's us becoming more like that. Legal standing, internal condition. Justification is once for all. It happens, and we are saved forever. We are always justified, right? We just said that. What's well, sanctification? It continue, it's continuous throughout our life. That one's not finished until death. You get that? Talk about that. It's entire, justification is entirely God's work. It's him. We don't have a part in that other than accepting it. Sanctification, we cooperate with the Holy Spirit in this process. How do we do that? You ready? We obey. We learn and we obey. We read God's word. We'll talk about how to do it. We obey. All right? We have the choice, right? You have free will. You can choose to follow or not follow. Okay. Justification is perfect in this life. You never have to worry about him not loving you, of him not saving you, of him not holding on to you. He, will ne he, he has actually said, I will never lose one of these you've given to me. 
You can't outsin his grace. You can't outsin out of his hand. You can't sin your way out of his hand. He won't let you go when you put your faith in him. That's a beautiful thing, and it gives us peace. However, sanctification is not perfect in this life, meaning the best person you've ever known in Jesus, they're not as good as they're going to be. Isn't that incredible? Because at death, God, you will be completely glorified and freed from all of this. Justification. This is interesting. We talk about this a lot. Justification. Like, this is something we need to face because we, we live in America, democracy, everything's the same and equal. Hmm. <clears throat> we are viewed, justification is the same in all Christians. We are all sons and daughters of the king. He loves us the same, right? However, sanctification is greater in some than in others. There will be differences. And hence, you know, we don't talk about this. You will never be punished for what you should be punished for in Christ, but you will be rewarded for your actions. Isn't that crazy? There will be different rewards for each of us. That's why he talks about crowns and treasure in heaven and all those things that the good we do matters. So sanctification is something that continues throughout a Christian's life. The ordinary course of a Christian's life, every Christian should have, if they are a healthy Christian, a continuous growth in sanctification, a continuous growth in holiness. You should not be the same today as you were when you put your faith in Jesus. Not perfect, but you should be taking steps. Now, the other side of that's true too, and I've had to talk to some people before about this. Everyone on this earth can continue to grow in that. If you're in this room and you think you arrived or you think your spouse has arrived because you really love them and they have that cute look in their eye, you're crazy. And you're robbing them of the process of becoming more like Jesus when you're afraid to tell them the areas they're not. That happens sometimes. I've, I've dealt with that many times. We all have areas to grow in, right? The New Testament tells us that we have to give effort and attention to this. I bet you if I did this for 30 minutes, you guys wouldn't sit there, and I'm supposed to stand here while you do it. Boom, burn, wake up. All right. I should do that sometime. I should just come up here and just go. And just see how long you'd stay. <clears throat> You're like, Todd, I'm already staying, and that's what it is. <laughs> anyway, sanctification begins at the point of coming to now. I know there's a lot of cation, so I'm, for now I'm going to say your holiness, okay? The process of becoming holy starts at the moment that you come to know Jesus. Once we become born again, listen to me. This is very important. We can never continue to sin as a habit or a pattern of life. You will, let me put this in plain terms here instead of my little fancy writing. You're never going to be comfortable living the way that you did before Jesus, after you know Jesus. It will never feel the same. Have you ever done that? Have you ever went back to some things you used to do and it used to give you some joy and peace and you're like, it doesn't feel the same. Sometimes they're not even bad things. You know, I used to worship football. That sounds so ridiculous. It made me feel good, right? Like, it made me, it gave me the attention that I wanted. It, you know, people, you get uh, encouragement. You know, my family saw me. It was all the, it was a stable thing for me. You know, and to this day, it's still, it's going to sound silly. I hear echoes of that, right? Like, probably why I don't watch it very much, even though I love it. And, but when I go back to it, and I've done that, it doesn't have the same power it had before, right? <clears throat> Why is it? It's because the Holy Spirit lives in us now. You're not the same thing. You know, we take again, I was talking to our team before we started, and we kind of view the Bible as just nice advice, philosophy, or like Dr. Phil's good morning day, right? I don't know, whatever, good morning anecdote. We just kind of view it as something that, that sounds nice, but it's not realistic. It's true. These things are real. When God says, when the Bible says things like you're born again, I will give you a new heart, you're a new creation, that's a fact. You were dead, now you're alive. It's a literal thing that happens. You're different. You're reborn, right? You're that baby now learning how to be like the king. <clears throat> and because of that, we're never going to be comfortable in sin. It's like a fish out of water. We can flop around on land all we want, but we can't breathe. We're not healthy there. We're not healthy in the world when we live like the world. I know that's not popular to say, right? You want to be able to be hip and cool, right? And, then, and you, you kind of justify yourself. You're like, listen, man, I'm just kind of taking the word to the people. When I'm drunk, that's just me loving them, man. I'm going to talk about Jesus. First of all, you ain't never talking about Jesus when you're drunk, all right? 
you're a liar. You can say half tied. Well, if you are, it's not good stuff. It's not right stuff. All right? Or you're smoking what you're smoking. I can't tell you how many times I hear that too, right? <clears throat> All those kinds of things. By the way, it doesn't matter if it's natural. It's not legal. So the Bible says it is what it is, man. I just lost about 15 people. It is what it is. <clears throat> so this is what it means when the Bible says you were dead to sin but alive in Christ. Romans 6.18 says it pretty simply, right? <clears throat> we talked about being slaves to sin. It says, but now you have been set free from sin, right? You were slaves to sin. You have become enslaved to righteousness. You have a new master. You have a new way of being. So where before you knew Jesus, you didn't know really. You didn't have the ability to always recognize your patterns or even overcome them, right? You couldn't overcome it. You ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like, man, no matter how much I want to try, some of you in this room, I can't beat this. Can't tell how many times I hear someone say, I'll come to Jesus once I have this addiction beat. It's not going to happen, right? Right? You might beat it for a time, but at the end of the day, you need more than the physical freedom from the addiction. Your heart needs to be free. Your soul, you need to be free. You now have the ability to recognize that. So I want you to envision, okay, and I used to use this example all the time, the, the docks is what I call it, Krista, you wouldn't believe it, it's an example, it says the docks example, right? And what that means is, I want you to consider this, king or queen again, right? Queen Elizabeth, let's say in her heyday, I know she's passed on, but Queen Elizabeth, what would happen if Queen Elizabeth just went down by the docks and just started hanging, you know, and wore, I don't know, scanty clothing, right, and was just smashing some brewskis with the boys, right? Let me ask you a question. What would the TV do? What would everyone do? Pray or kill her? Yeah, ridicule her. Yeah, you're right. I wasn't making fun of you. I thought you said pray to kill her. I don't think that's what would happen. Yeah, ridicule her, right? They would ridicule. You're right. Why would they ridicule her? They would say, oh my gosh, she's not behaving like a, a, a queen, on and on and on. We see this with presidents. This person was very presidential. This person wasn't. We have an expectation. The more authority someone has, the higher the status they have, the more that's expected of them. Why do we think that if human royalty is expected to not behave a certain way, that you and I, as a royal priesthood, aren't expected to behave a certain way? It's not a matter of whether or not. If she was down at the docks, would she stop being queen? No, she's still a queen, right? This is why they shouldn't ridicule her too much, right? Back, especially back in the old days. No, she's still the queen, but she's not behaving like one. And what does that say to the people around her? She's the queen, but she doesn't act like a queen. You get it? Oh, they're a Christian, but what does that mean? They're the same as I am or the same as this person. The positive example of that, and I used to, this is going to be weird to some people, but if you know what I mean, if you've met people like this, you're going to get it. Have you ever met someone that almost smells like Jesus? Right? I don't mean a carpenter in the first century, right? But I mean literally like the aroma of Christ, that you're around them and you feel it. They feel different. And when they walk in and out of a room, right, there's a change in the atmosphere. I talk about this guy all the time, and I cry almost every time I know him. There's a guy named John. He worked at a nonprofit that I worked at. I thought he was just the janitor, old guy that would clean toilets. And there's another lady, too, that I'll talk about. But this guy cleaned toilets, and he was sweeping, and he would always make me drink Maalox because I had stomach problems, and he would literally make me. He's like, here's some Maalox. I'm like, thank you. He's like, he would stand there until I drank it, right? <laughs> um, and he would talk to me, and I just remember, I remember, wow. And you know what I found out? That guy had been, the, he's, he was retired, but he had been the pastor of a massive church in Pennsylvania for 30 years, of a massive church. You know, he was a rock star pastor and preacher, but all I knew him as was the guy who scrubbed toilets. And yet, and even that tells you something about him. He didn't think he was better than anyone else. He just loved to serve, and he had moved into the part of his life where, okay, I'm not going to be preaching every week, but I'm going to be preaching to this young guy who needs it, and I'm going to be cleaning the building so that kids have a clean place to hang out. He felt like Jesus. His test, he's passed on. His testimony still stands in my heart all the time. I talk about him all the time. And I will forever. He left an impact on me. There's a lady I know who has not passed away who I literally saw scrubbing, man, one of the registers with a toothbrush. And it seemed ridiculous. And 
It wasn't for attention because no one was there. And I came in and I go, hey, we have a cleaning team. She goes, I know, but they tend to miss this. And the kids deserve a clean place to be. Well, Todd, that's nice. What about her? Um, well, she's also very, very, very wealthy. Very wealthy. And her husband at the time was a big-time politician. I'm not going to say their names. I'm just saying you would know them. And yet here she was in this crappy little teen center with the kind of money where she could buy the place if she wanted, scrubbing a register with a toothbrush because she, she thought the kids deserved that. She was a prayer warrior, man. She just, she walked with me when no one else did, when an entire community turned on me, right? When I make mistakes and people turn on me, she never did. Prayed for me. She still sends me stuff to this day. One of the best people I ever met. She smells like Jesus. What that means and what I learned from that is we should not be the same. Those people aren't just magical people. They're just people who obeyed, people who took serious this walk. And naturally, the more time they spent with the king, the more they began to look, smell, and seem like the king. We should not be in the same place. We should not one year, two years, or 40 years as our salvation, be at this, after our salvation, be in the same place as we were. Listen to me. And that's some of you in the room. I'm going to be honest. Here's the hard part. Some of you are not really any different. You've been a Christian for 10 years, and you tell yourself you are because you go to church, but you're really no closer and no different than you were. Listen, I'm not here to shame you, but I'm here to tell you, you don't have to stay there. You're choosing to do that. That should convict you. And listen, this isn't just becoming more like Christ in our actions, though we are called to do that, right? Don't look at this. Don't sleep with this person if you're not married. All those kinds of things, right? Don't curse in front of people though, right? That's all those kinds of things. But do you know we are called to strive to be like Jesus even in our words and our thoughts, our heart? So what I'm saying is some of you in this room may think, oh, I'm above all this. It's nice that Todd's teaching everyone how to be more like Jesus. I've already figured it out. Well, first of all, that attitude already shows you haven't. Because here's my thing. Yes, that's great. And you may have matured in, in the outwardly noticeable traits. You may have defeated the ones that everyone sees. But understand this. Inward sins, things like pride and selfishness, lack of courage in your faith, lack of passion or compassion, all of those kinds of things are just as serious as the ones people see. Arrogance, condemnation, hatred, pharisaical hearts that say, you don't deserve this unforgiveness, all of those areas are just as serious as all of the ones that you're told not to do to be a good Christian. And God, his desire and expectation for you is not just to stop the ones everyone sees, but to stop the ones he sees. Do you take that as serious? Do you really? Or are you content to stay where you're at because everyone else thinks you're really good? You're really, you're really holy. There's a lot of people that can fool people. All of those things are real sins that should be taken just as seriously. And yet in church, we don't take it that way. I've always found that so fascinating. Here, I'm going to condemn the alcoholic who's truly struggling to fight through. But don't worry about this arrogant deacon, this arrogant pastor who's condemning and hate-filled and unforgiving. That's okay, because at least he doesn't drink. That's disgusting. And that's the kind of culture we create because we elevate one above the other. Just don't look like it. Play the masquerade. That's what I call it, the great masquerade. I'll come in with my perfect mask, and I won't look under yours as long as you don't look under mine, and we'll all be happy and dance. And then we'll go home and take it off and cry because that's not real freedom. You are expected to grow in your holiness in all ways. It isn't meant to be an option. Hebrews 12, 14 says it very clearly. Listen to this. Strive for peace with everyone. We don't have it? There we go. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive. Try. Hard. Strive for peace with everyone. That's good, by the way. But And for what? Strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You've got to strive. You've got to work. It's not going to always be easy. I don't want to not punch people sometimes. All right? There are times I literally want to punch someone in the face. Right? I'm sorry, I'm not supposed to tell you that, but the old me's still in there, right? And, and I, I haven't done that in a long time, but I still want to, right? Do I, do I just let that sit in there, or do I kill that? I want to, when people are hateful to me, right? I was raised this way, oh, you're going to do this to me, right? You're going to flick me, well, I'm going to slap you, right? I'm going to up the ante every time. 
We have to strive for holiness. We have to strive, even the parts that aren't natural to us. Now, here's the thing. You're never going to be completely free, so the encouragement also comes from the fact that it's okay that you're not perfect yet. Because Jesus was perfect enough for you, and you will be perfect one day. That's the promise. The promise is he will finish what he started in you, Philippians 1.6. It's a, it's a nice promise that we kind of take, and it says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You know, our, uh, my buddy, Tim, you guys know him, he's a leader here, he's somewhere roaming around, but he... This became a big thing for him a few years ago, and he came up and talked about it and how the idea of that even when we don't want to, we talked about this last week, he's going to finish it, right? Jesus is going to make us holy. How does he do that? Well, sometimes it's discipline, but sometimes it's all kinds of other things. But regardless, he's going to finish the good work because even if we struggle to get there, when that moment comes that we stand before him, all of this is gone and we are glorified and made perfect, spotless. The way that we're viewed now, we will be. Make sense? I know, guys, it's not as exciting as the emotion, but it's very important. So I want to show you this because I told you. Remember I told you about backsliding. This is all important. So you can be, be choose to live less holy. That can happen. So we have kind of a justification. We have a couple of graphs. It doesn't matter which one you put up. Perfect. <clears throat> so I'm going to hop down so you can see. This is a good, good kind of graph to show you what we're talking about. Before that dark line, you are a slave to sin. You are a slave. You are dead in your sins. Okay? At, the, at conversion, that's any non-Christian. At conversion, what happens? Well, you're now on the other side of that. right? You're justified at that black line. And now you begin to grow in holiness, a Christian life. You see that? And then what happens when a Christian dies is they become perfectly holy. Make sense? Now this process, put the other one up. Because I, I think that one's kind of nice. You'll see when I talk about backsliding. Look at that. Right? Okay, justification, this is another one. Unsaved, saved, the line is justification. The moment you accept Christ, you're saved. And notice how that line goes, I like this, goes up and down, up and down. Moments happen. That's sanctification all the way to glorification. Here's the thing, and it shows it. You can go up and you can go down. You can choose to live like him or you can take steps back. That, I'm not supposed to turn my back to the crowd. Public speaking, 101. Anyway, that right there. If you want to talk about backsliding, that's what you can backslide in. And that is serious. That is very serious, and it should matter to you. But what you can't backslide into is past that black line. You will never go back to being unsaved, period. Make sense? There is freedom in that. So that lie, I mean, so many of you raised your hand and said you're afraid of that. You can't, maybe you're afraid of it because you don't want to dishonor God, and that's beautiful. But if you live in the fear that I've, I've gone too far and now I'm done, he's done with me, that will never happen. If you have truly put your faith in that will never happen because you can't slide back in. You can't slide past the black line. How about that? It's a process. Now, my personal, and I've seen some like this. The way I like to view sanctification isn't even like this. I like to view it in relation to Jesus when he said, follow me. It's just a straight line. I'm dead. I come to know him. I'm following him all the way back home. And sometimes I stumble and he has to, right? He's not going to come back, but he's going to say, get up, get up, Todd. It's time to get up, right? Or you can sit in the mud and stay right where you're at. We have to follow him. Now, I will say this, and it's important, because I told you you can't slide past the line of salvation. But if you find you aren't growing ever, you're not growing, that you can't ever make any steps to overcome certain sin, right? whatever that is. You don't even feel conviction about it. Conviction means feel bad about it. Or you find yourself, maybe you're even living worse, you do need to talk to someone. Whether it's a pastor, a Christian, someone you, this is to the Christians, or someone that you respect because there's one of two things happening. One, and I, I don't, this isn't fear because you know it, either you never truly were saved. I had a friend in here, you know who you are, who said, his family told him, oh, you didn't need to be baptized because you were, sa- you were baptized at birth. You were saved. No, you weren't. That's not possible, right? You're saved in the sense that, you know, babies go to heaven, right? But that's, that doesn't save you as an adult. You have to make a choice. And if you never made that choice, then none of this applies to you. You get it? Well, Todd, I live like a Christian, but it's powerless. The Pharisees looked like really good people, but Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. 
On the outside, you're clean, but on the inside, you're full of dead man's bones. Or the second option is, is that you're so wrapped in the quicksand and in hopelessness right, that you need prayer. The Bible says, confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. There's something powerful, right, to say, Lord, I need you. I'm stuck in this. So the reality is God and man cooperate in sanctification. So what's our role in that? Todd, how do I grow? Well, it's passive in the one hand. You have to trust God. He's going to sanctify. He's made you holy. Positionally, it's passive, but it's active in that you have to take steps. So how do we take steps? I got a list for you. It's not going to be on there, but you can hear it and write it down. All right. How, how, what helps us grow in sanctification? Well, one is reading the Bible and thinking about it. So many people say, how do you study the Bible? Listen, I, you might only read one paragraph. Do you understand it? It's better to read one paragraph that you meditate and understand than an entire book you, didn't, you don't remember anything. Study the word. Read it. The Bible says man does not live on bread alone, but by the very word of God. Psalm 1 says this really beautiful picture. It said the man, right? I'm going to paraphrase. But the man who meditates on the law of the Lord is like a tree planted between two streams. That's a very healthy tree, right? It's getting everything it needs. We have to do that. Guys, I don't get it either. But if you're a Christian in the room, you know what I mean. When you go long periods of time without reading it, are you as good a person as you are when you do? No, me either. There's a supernatural aspect to that. It's our food. All right? Number two, prayer. Spending time with God. Asking him to help you overcome it. Asking him to give you the strength. All those things. Podium. Pay attention. All right? I get it. Listen, if this is your first week, you're like, this guy's like a professor. Come back next week. I'll do my yelling thing. All right? I'll get all excited and yell if that's what you like. <clears throat> but people don't like that. It's just a lose-lose. All right? I'll just start announcing. Yelling sermon or just teaching? Um, <laughs> promise you stick around long enough, I'll be passionate about something. You just may not like it. Two, prayer, right? You got to pray. You got to spend time with God. Jesus did it. He tells us to do it. Something supernatural happens in that too. Ask yourself this. You don't feel close to God? I'm about to get you. You don't feel close to God? I haven't for a long time. How much have you read your Bible and prayed this week? I already know. I don't even have to ask. That was a mic drop. You, ha you haven't. You haven't done it. You have not done it. Have you done it? Well, I've done it. I love it. It's like, Christians, I've just gotten to know how we talk, right? One is I've told you the two-week rule, the two-week sin rule, right? Let's use pornography. Hey, man, how's your about? You know, have you ever looked at pornography? I did two weeks ago, but, you know. And then, weirdly, it's always miraculous. You talk to 100 guys, it's always two weeks exactly is the last time they looked at it. Every single time, right? They're in a battle for it. They've all, because we don't want to admit that we're in the midst of something, right? <clears throat> The reality is we need, to, we need to be in prayer. How many times you prayed this? Oh, I prayed sometime this week. Yeah, but pray unceasingly. When I was at my best in life, you know, I talk bad about myself a lot, but here's an area that I did that I am fairly strong in in my disciplines is prayer. I just talk to him all throughout the day. It looks like I'm talking to myself. Sometimes I am, but most of the time I'm talking to God. Did you know that he listens, that he responds? There you go again. I can already hear you prayer. Yeah, nothing happens when I pray. That's because you, you aren't either doing it or you're not believing all right, number three, worship, what you did earlier. Worship's so powerful because it always reminds us of who God is and who we are. He's the king, I'm not. I'm just the son of the king. Worship, do you worship? Do you stand up? Do you let yourself be in that moment and listen and focus on a holy, perfect, good God who died for you? Or do you just go, I don't sing, man. Whatever, all right? Worship, number four, witnessing, talking about Jesus, telling people about him. That's one I know a lot of us don't do either. When's the last time you talked to someone about Jesus? Has it been a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month? I invited him to church. That is awesome. But when's the last time you did? Because you're the one who's been called to go and make disciples of all nations. You. When we talk about Jesus, we're reminded of him. It keeps us focused on the kingdom. Number five, Christian fellowship. <clears throat> That's a fancy word. We call it community around here. That's why I get so fired up about it. I don't need anybody. That's how I was raised. I just have to say this. When everybody's like, this guy always tries to make me spend time with people and be in community. Listen, I ain't want to spend time with you all the time either. I wasn't raised that way. But I know it's good for me and it's good for you. We have to spend time together. We spend an awful lot of our time out there in the world, right, surrounded by people that don't know Jesus. We need each other. The Bible said that. Um, I don't need to go to church. That's me. I'm making fun of myself because I said that. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Exactly. But Christians go to church. 
They spend time in community. And by the way, deep community doesn't just happen in this service. Church isn't this service. It's what happens the rest of the time. All right? We push each other towards it. That helps us be holy, right? Because there's a standard that's being met. We're all pushing the same thing. And the last one, and this is very simple, self-discipline and self-control. Do you put yourself in situations? Are you willing to walk away from things? Do you flee from it or you just go, eh, I, can, I can play with fire? So, it's very important, guys, that we understand that we have, there's always two extremes in Christianity, the extreme that makes it all about the do's and the don'ts, and there's no rest, right, because there's a rest in that, but then there's also this new age Christianity that says, do what you want, it don't matter if we look the same, Jesus loves everyone, right? We are enemies of God if we have not put our faith in Christ, that's a fact, he loves us, right, he doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to have eternal life. But we have a responsibility to be different than the world. You're not. If you want to blend in and be a Christian, it's impossible. You're going to be miserable. Here's something that's really wild. If you want to be a Bible-believing disciple and follower of Jesus Christ, you're probably going to stand out and look weird even in popular Christianity. I'll say that again. You're going to look weird in popular Christianity. Because the crowd's all going one way. And if you think that giant crowd of 67% of people in America say they're Christians, they're all going toward Jesus. You're fooling yourself. Even if it's only you following him, are you willing to go? Now you understand when he said father, mother, son, all that, right? He is the one we follow. You're going to look weird. Accept it. And people will eventually respect that. That's how we become, shine our light. And he gives us that example. I have a whole thing here of why we should do it and all these fancy things, but I've already lost you guys. So she's going to come play some music, and I'm going to just make it really simple. This is meant to be encouraging, encouraging in two ways. Just because you fail, you, you slip, you fall in the mud, you sin, you make a mistake, doesn't mean that Jesus loves you any less. It doesn't mean that you're going to hell if you put your faith in Jesus. It doesn't mean you're any less a saint. It doesn't mean you're any less holy positionally. Get it? Let that sink in. You are a son or daughter of God in Christ, regardless of anything else. No one can ever take that away from you. No one. I don't care if it's a million Christians who Christians who say that's the case, and it's you and Jesus. The truth is with Jesus. Let that sink in. Really let that sink in. Because the moments I do, guys, I struggle with it too. And I fight so hard. Sometimes I act a fool just to prove I can and still be loved by God. I don't mean sin. I just mean act ridiculous. Sometimes I do. I'm going to talk. I'm going to act a fool. Just be like, so what? I'm still a Christian, right? That's stupid. But I do that, right? Because I so firmly believe in that. Our tagline here is you've been chosen by God's grace. He grabbed you. And his promise is he'll never let go. And a lot of times the reason we walk away from him is because it feels like it's this never-ending treadmill. I got to be good enough. I got to be good enough. I got to be good enough. That's exhausting. And it's not the way it's supposed to be. That's the encouraging, beautiful side. You are holy because he's holy. But here's the challenging side. Act like it. Act like it. Here's an easy place to start. Where do I start, Todd? That thing that's been in the back of your mind, the Holy Spirit's telling you to do or not do, that, that one, it might be the smallest thing. Do it. Stop making excuses. Stop making excuses of why you don't have to. Do that thing. For some of you, it's loving your wife even though she's not lovable. You, you want to, but you don't want to. Do it anyway. Quit waiting to feel butterflies and love your wife. Maybe... It's the other way around. It's like, I can't stand my husband. <laughs> and honestly, I, I'm going to say your husband ain't a jerk. He might be a jerk, but Jesus isn't. Are you willing to submit to your husband and respect him, even if he's not respectable? Because if the call is to love you when you're not lovable, your call to respect is true even when he's not respectable. Are you willing to love people that don't love you back? Are you willing to find a home church and stop playing around and listen guys if you're guests I'm not just talking I say this every week if it's not here that's okay 
but find a Bible-believing church and become a member so that you can live in community and so that you can be encouraged and pushed and all those things. Stop waiting for the perfect pastor in the perfect place. It doesn't exist. It's all, right, it's all a glorious mess. Find one. If that's your thing, do that. We have to act like what we are. And it's a beautiful thing, man. And the crazy part is, if you view it as just rules, it feels like a weight. But it's not. It's freedom. If I, it's hit me, man. When I'm doing, like when you do secret, sinful things, are you comfortable? No, you're scared all the time, right? It doesn't matter if it's the smallest thing is someone going to find out. Am, am I there? I mean, it, it, it grows and grows, right? It, it's just a mess. We are free when we follow Jesus and we act like him. You're not sinners anymore. You're saints. No one can take that away from you. But with that comes responsibility. Don't be down at the docks drinking with the boys, right? It's not against alcohol, but you know what I mean. Drinking with the boys, they're not just having a beer, they're having 20, right? Act like what you are. Live free. Make this something real. Hold God to his promise. Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid to do what he said and see what happens? If you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, maybe you said you did, but as you're thinking about it, you really don't. It's really important that you do. Because the other side of this is true, too. It doesn't matter how much you grow in sanctification in your actions if you don't have the position. You get it? It doesn't go the other way around. I can right now go put a crown on my head and stroll around with a robe and, and tell you guys to call me King Todd, but I don't have any power. You're just going to think I'm a weirdo, right? It's the same thing. You can walk around and act like a Christian all you want, but it doesn't make you one. You can act like a son or a daughter, but it doesn't make you one. Only one person can give you the position by changing you and making you new. Only one person. You can't. It's exhausting to even try. So if you're in the room and you don't know Jesus, it's really simple. I'm going to simplify the gospel for you. If you're in the room and you've heard it, sorry. God made everything perfect. It wasn't like this. This world ain't perfect now, but he made it perfect. You know what ruined it? We did. Because he had one rule. Well, was it a real tree, Todd? Listen, he had one rule. I'm God and you're not. I will tell you what right and wrong is, and you will listen. And guess what we did? We rebelled. No, I'll say what right and wrong is. I will try to set myself on the throne. And because of that, we are separated from God like a branch snapped off a tree. We are no longer, sin entered us, and we're no longer holy. You're not holy. You're not good. Because when the standard is perfection, I'm sorry, it doesn't matter if you're better than me. That might be easy, but you're not as good as Jesus. Because if you've done one thing, then that's enough. We're separated from God. And because of that, we have all these symptoms that come out. Because of the disease I have, we're hateful and we're lustful and we're unforgiving and we're condemning and all of these things, murderous and treasonous and adulterous, all of those things come out of the disease. So even if I take a cough drop and I stop the one thing, it's just like I can't cure the disease. And you know it. You know you can't fix yourself. That's why you run from thing to thing. God knew that. So what he did is he had a plan. And God invaded this world in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus of Nazareth existed. He taught us what the kingdom was like, what it was like before sin entered us. He told us how beautiful it was, and he told us how to act that way. And he told us what we should and shouldn't do. And he told us the truth of what will happen if we face God on our own merit that judgment in hell. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means no one has an excuse. And it also says that the wages of sin is death. That means it doesn't matter how good you think you are. Remember, you can't good your way into being a son or a daughter. You can't buy the position with good deeds. So, what happened? Well, your debt had to be paid. You are guilty. Penalty's death. So Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, died on a cross. It's a fact. C.S. Lewis puts it that way. What is he? Is he a liar, a lunatic, or he is who he said he was? Those are the only three options. He is the son of God. If he is the son of God, this is what happened. 
on that cross, he died for your sins and mine, past, present, future. He died to make you a son or daughter, to bring you home. He took your sin, and on that cross, something incredible happens. A divine transaction occurs. You give him your sin. You give him your shame. You give him your condemnation. You say to him, Lord, I want what you have. Forgive me, and he will give you forgiveness. He will take your sin and give you the benefits of his perfect, holy life, the position. And then he will empower you with the Holy Spirit so that you can start acting like your position. On the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered death so that we, t- we also will conquer death. That's it. That's the truth. And the Bible says that if you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, put simply, do you believe him? If you believe him and you ask him today, if you ask him today, there'll be people up here willing to pray with you. It happened last week. Incredible miracle happened. Someone did that. If you, you don't have to know what to do. It's a beautiful thing to see someone come up here and not know and say, I want this. And in that moment, that person is saved forever. Don't leave here today without being assured of that. People pray with you. But if you confess with your lips and believe in your heart, Romans says, if you confess your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and was raised from the dead, you will be saved, period. So whether you're in the room and you don't know Jesus, or whether you're in the room you know Jesus, but if you're honest, for lack of a better word, you've backslidden in your holiness, take this time, this altar time, to go before God, either at the altar with people in prayer. As I told you, the Bible says confess your sins to one another. Right? The prayer of a righteous person is powerful indeed. To walk away and be to feel as clean as you are. Whatever you do, don't leave the same as you came in, because if you do, you're choosing to.